Welcome to Back on the Grind, a podcast about life, music, people, and the stories that bring us closer. My name is Will Parker, aka Folk Punk Dad, and today's episode I interview Scott Bodnar, aka Pepe, about his experience with fear and incarceration. Pepe, I know you wanted to discuss the topic of fear today, but before we get into that, I noticed that in the first episode, you mentioned the DIY bandits and your incarceration. Do you want to give the listeners a little more context around these things in case they're wondering? Sure. Uh, I guess I'll give the short answer. Uh, The DIY bandits was a project I started in the early 2000s. It's probably most recognized within the folk punk community specifically for my role in releasing music with Pat the Bunny. I was one of the first people to ever release his music, and I worked closely with him throughout his musical career. I also worked with Chesky, and I definitely put in a lot of effort in helping to introduce him to a more kind of punk DIY culture and bring his music into that genre. Uh, As far as incarceration goes, a while back, probably in the later Uh, Mid-2000s, maybe around 2008, I was trying to make a little extra money selling marijuana, just a small amount. And as time went on, that grew into something that, well, I guess I ended up getting an airplane with two partners I was working with. We bought an airplane and hired a pilot and ended up flying millions of dollars of marijuana across the country for uh, quite some time until the feds found out and I was sent to prison. That was in 2019. I was sentenced to nearly five years. You know, there's a lot more to both of those things, but I know you and I are going to dive deeper into our individual stories in future episodes. But I think that'll definitely give people some context until we get into the details. Absolutely. Thanks so much. So as someone who went to prison, I'm sure that fear was a part of that story. Could you share some of what you learned about fear through that experience? Absolutely. So I, I first I want to say to make it clear that I'm not saying fear is a bad thing at any point during this conversation, because fear is a very valid and useful emotion. I mean, just historically, it it's what kept humans alive. If we look back in history and through our evolution, uh, without fear, we wouldn't have survived as a species and be here today having this conversation. Keeping that in mind, you know, I just want people to understand that this point isn't to say fear is a negative thing that we should avoid and not be experiencing. Totally. So I think one of the differences, though, you know, humans uh, years ago, thousands and years ago and hundreds of thousands of years ago, were experiencing life in a much different way than we were. Uh, There was a saber-toothed cat could be hiding around a boulder waiting to jump out and and take your life. Um, There was a lot of different threats in the environment that we don't face today. But as humans, we still respond with that fear emotion, right? That's never left our way of living, though our way of living has changed dramatically. Like we don't have those threats in our environment. I think that's where the difficulties come in with fear, at least for me. A lot of the fear I'm facing seems to be not justified in the sense that there isn't a saber-toothed cat waiting around the corner outside my door when I wake up in the morning. But as far as going to prison in fear, uh, I never thought about fear much until I was arrested. And Mm. it was at that point 
that I realized like it was just a constant looming fear going on. And I really felt the need for, for two things at that point. I think the first was just to share the fact that I was afraid. I wanted to like state that to people. I wanted to let others be aware that I was feeling that fear because it was such a new thing for me, at least on that level. And the other thing was that I wanted to talk to friends and other people to understand how they dealt with fear so that maybe it can better help me understand how to process and move through the feelings I was facing. Mm. What was it about prison that you were afraid of? I'm sure there are countless things, but was there something particular for you? Yeah, this is really interesting. So I'm going to backtrack just a little. One thing I did to let others know I was afraid, I remember joining a group. It was probably like a hundred different guys in this group. It was like an online thing. And they were all just working to better improve themselves and show up better for themselves and the people around them. I remember the first time we had this meeting online, it was like a Zoom meeting, and everyone went around and shared something. And it was my turn to share. And I hadn't publicly spoken about my upcoming incarceration at the time. The only people knew were my immediate friends and family. So I was with a group of people that I didn't know yet. And it was the first time I shared what was going on in my life. And I said, I'm facing incarceration. I'm going to prison and I'm terrified. And then I started crying. Uh, and that was the first time I told people I didn't know. And then as far as asking people about how they dealt with fear, you know, I turned to quite a few people. But I remember specifically having a conversation uh, with my friend Pat, many people might know as Pat the Bunny. And he had given me uh, a great piece of advice. You know, I asked him about fear and what he does when fear shows up in his life. And he said that he realized that fear is a physical feeling that shows up in the body. And it's a great place to start to realize it's a physical feeling in the body. That really stuck with me. I remember my first year of prison for the whole year. Like I was really focusing on what Pat had told me about acknowledging the fear being a feeling in the body. And I got really good at that. I was able to sense it. And usually for me, it shows up in my chest and it'll kind of move down into my stomach, you know, the longer the fear lingers. And after about a year of just focusing on that feeling in the body is when, as Pat said, it's just a starting point. So that's when I begin to realize, okay, I need to move further with this. I need to now not just be aware of the feeling, but identify the fear. So to your question, what was I afraid of in prison? I remember laying in my bunk and remembering back to that day when I told all those guys on that Zoom meeting that I was afraid that I was going to prison and that I was terrified. And they all started giving me suggestions and advice regarding like how to deal with prison. And none of it resonated with me. And at the time, I, I didn't really realize why that didn't resonate with me. But laying on my bunk in prison a year later, I, it totally made sense because I realized I wasn't scared of prison. I really didn't have any fear of prison. I was going to a lower security prison. I was pretty aware of what things like, are like in that type of setting. I talked to people who've been there. But my fear was being removed from everyone I love, being removed from my family, my friends, right? To have that separation 
from the life that was familiar to me and the people that were familiar to me. That's what I was afraid of. And I, when I told all those guys a, a, a year prior that I was afraid, I didn't even understand why I was afraid. Like in that moment, I didn't get it. It literally took me a year to figure that out. Mm. Yeah, that makes so much sense that the uh, idea or the reality of being removed from your life uh, would be even more terrifying than whatever prison would could happen, you know? It's a hard thing because it's a collapse of everything that you know, everything you're familiar with collapses. That mm. collapse is, like you said, it's scarier than the actual prison institution. I mean, for me, at least it was. That's definitely what I was most afraid of. And I believe we've talked before about no matter how much you reform, it doesn't change the fact that they're being removed from their lives. Yeah, you can reform prison all you want, but the trauma and the the pain of being removed from your traditional life and all the people that you are usually around, and you know, and especially like someone like me and plenty of people in prison who have kids. It's a very traumatic event for them as well. I mean, I often say that my fiance, my kids, my parents, they all served that sentence with me. They were just on the other side of it, but they were like, in many ways, I think they were going through something even more difficult than me because, you know, when I went to prison on my end, there was like a bunch of new people that I met. It was a lot, it was a new environment. So it was a lot of new stimuli right? There's a lot of new things for me to interact with and engage and learn about. For my kids, for my fiance, for my parents, all they had was something missing. It was just a mm -hmm. void. There wasn't any new uh, stimuli. So, I mean, I've not been on the opposite side. I've been the one locked up, but it seems like for the folks on the opposite side, like, there's a lot that might be even more difficult in a way for them. Absolutely. I think people often neglect the fact of you know someone going to prison how much it affects not just that person but everyone around them you know everyone who uh, that person is important to that's something that really needs to be considered yeah hopefully at some point my fiance would be down to come on and talk about this because so i remember before mm -hmm. i went away you know we, i was fighting my case and we knew i was going to end up in prison but she had said something to me that I never considered. And she said how much that the experience of this for her having someone taken away from them by the, by the government and by the state, it's very much similar to the process of grieving. Uh, mm. I mean, essentially it is, you, you know, you're grieving the loss of somebody and it's, it's a, a very interesting way because the person is obviously still alive, but they're not a part of your life, you know, or at least not in any familiar or comfortable way. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So going back to identifying fears, do you still struggle to identify your fears today? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not perfect at that. But I could say it doesn't take me a year to figure out what I'm afraid of. A recent example of this is, you know, I was talking to my fiance Lee about everything I'm working on. And I remember sitting on my chair in the living room and she was sitting there on the couch and I said, you know, I'm working on creating this podcast. I'm working on starting the coffee roasting company. I'm working on starting a record label. There's just so much going on. 
that I'm going to be really busy and that she needs to prepare for that because I don't know how much time I'll have to give to her. And it really caused her anxiety to, to spike, obviously, because she's hearing me say that. What she's hearing is saying, okay, you're not going to be able to show time for the relationship. And it didn't make things any better. But it took me two days, not a year. But two days later, I realized, oh, I was actually afraid that I wouldn't be able to maintain my closeness with Lee if I was going to be so consumed with all these projects I was doing. But at the time, I didn't know that, and I didn't word it like that. I came to her and, and told her later. So what do you do when you have thoughts like that? Well, like I said, in that case, I told her, right, which helped bring down uh, her anxiety levels and help me connect with her to let her know how I was actually feeling. I have this, like, corny acronym, though, that helps me in these situations. So for the word fear, F-E-A-R, the acronym is false evidence appearing real. And in this specific example, Lee and I had just been through three years of incarceration together. I mean, she did all she could to remain close to me and to keep our relationship intact. And there was just tons of evidence indicating that she's going to do what she could on her end to make sure we stayed close during my incarceration. And I did the same on my end. You know, it was a lot of difficult, hard work for both of us, but we we were willing to do it. I mean, our relationship was that important to each other. It's funny because I had all these other examples coming up in my head that me being busy with these projects, that our relationship wouldn't be able to be as close as it normally is. But there were all these false examples. They weren't true. So they were, you know, and this is where that term comes in. They were all false evidence appearing real. That's one of the key things that I try to understand is well, is the evidence actually true or not? You know, and another great example actually involving you, I remember realizing I needed help with some of these projects that I, I wasn't going to be able to tackle it all on my own. And I was going over your house, and I remember that day I was going to ask you if you'd be willing to help me out with this, to help me out with the podcast and some other stuff. But I was pretty, I was pretty nervous and, and, you know, I had this fear that you were going to say no or that you were going to think that, you know, I should be able to do all this on my own. I should know what I'm doing. And it's the same thing. It was all this false evidence appearing real because I remember when I got out of prison, you and I connected and I had reached out to you. You were like super excited. You know, you and your wife were like, yeah, we'll definitely get up and meet for coffee. And we got up and met. And then after that, you wanted to spend more time together. And then I talked to you about some of the projects I was interested in, and they seemed to intrigue you. And there was all this evidence, you know, uh, we have a, a strong connection to the folk punk community, you and I both. Like, there's all this evidence that you were willing or would likely be willing to help out with these projects. Yet, in my mind, I created this false evidence that appeared real. And it was like, tell me, don't ask, don't ask Will, don't ask him, you know, he's going to say no. And it was funny because I asked you and you said yes. And then... After I was leaving your house on the way out, you, you thanked me. You said, thank you for the opportunity to work on these projects. And I just remember driving back in the car ride home and kind of laughing at myself because, uh, you know, I still fall for that false evidence. But uh, remembering that corny acronym seems to help. That's a great acronym. And I am really glad you asked me to be a part of this. So thank you again. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's funny because that's like one of my fears, actually. 
and I'll, I guess we'll dive into that a little bit. So I, I've run the DIY Bandits record label for years, and most people who who don't know me, I would think they assume like I did all this recording and all these things. And it's funny because I've never really talked about this because I had this fear that people are going to think like, you know, he's a, he's a phony, he's not real. I don't record, you know, I don't know how to record. I don't play an instrument. I don't know how to sing. I don't know how to write a song. I had this big fear that if like this like information was exposed, people would think I'm a fake. And that's obviously not true because all these musicians who I worked with over the years and I helped put these projects together, like they love the fact that they were able to work with me. I mean, like honestly, like the majority of the people I worked with have said their experience working with different labels that working with the DIY Bandits was like their most favorite experience. Yet, I had this idea that if like this general public who was listening to the music understood like my role, you know, that I didn't have the role as uh, someone who's actually recording and mastering the music and stuff, that it, I would be exposed as a phony. And it's kind of like been a big fear. I'm actually surprised I'm sharing that right now. So I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> well, it, all false evidence appearing real right yeah. there. Yeah. So how how do you distinguish from false evidence and real evidence regarding fear? Something I realized that there's two types of fear, and they seem to be external fear and internal fear. And I'll give an example of this. So my birthday was a couple of days ago, and... As a birthday tradition, I often go out and, and hike and try and find a cave. It's just something I've always enjoyed. Uh, my fiance and I have been doing this for years uh, on every one of my birthdays. Uh, this was actually the first one since I have got out of prison that I've been able to go out and do that. So I, I was really excited. So I had met well, this kid, Sam. He had purchased something on the benefit auction that I held recently for the projects I'm working on and for some of the fines that I have to pay off uh, related to my incarceration. And we were mailing out the items and I realized his was, uh, the address was a Connecticut address. And I said, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, I'm in Connecticut. So I had reached out to him and said, you know, hey, if you ever want to get up and hang out, we could. And we did. And we started talking, you know, we spent a day walking around New Haven. And he shared, or I don't know if I shared, but one of us shared about our interest in caves. So I was like, oh man, my birthday's coming up. And like, I haven't been able to like hike to a cave in years because I was locked up. And uh, I said, I'm really looking forward to doing it this year. And he mentioned that there's this cave that he knows of uh, that I've never been to. And he's like, willing to take me on my birthday. So we had been planning this, him and my fiance and I were waiting to go. And we went out to this cave. We're hiking up. It was pretty steep. And we go off trail a little bit to get to the cave. It was really cool. The cave's like in the side of a mountain. So we sat down, hung out in the cave. It was actually really nice. He made me a, a necklace and he gave me like a gift with a rock that he had found in the cave. I'm like forgetting the name, but there's a specific type of rock that he had found in there. Well, anyways, we go to leave the cave and he says, well, we can go back the way we came or we can continue forward on, but it gets a little dicey. That was the word he used, dicey. Lee, my fiance, says, well, what do you mean dicey? Like, we got to scoot across on our butt? And he was like, yeah. So I'm like, okay. And, I'm, you know, and he's like, if either of you want to turn back at some point, we could. Me and Lee were both like, okay, let's go. And we get to this point where there's like this small ledge that you have to sit on. 
and put your butt on and the mountain is kind of leaning forward so it's kind of pushing your back forward while your oh, butt man. is on this ledge and you have to scoot across i mean and it was a pretty narrow ledge like i had a backpack on a small backpack i had to take my backpack off just so i can push my body back enough so that I, I wouldn't be pushed forward over the ledge too much. And we were like scooting across this ledge. And it was interesting. My whole body felt like fear. And I said earlier that the fear often starts in my chest and kind of usually stays there, maybe a little in my stomach. This time, my entire body was filled with fear. And I was scooting across this ledge. My fiance came after me. She seemed to have no problem doing it, which I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, babe, slow down. But she, she was like, fine. She actually stopped on the ledge and like sat there and looked out for a minute. And I'm like, this is crazy. But anyways, we go ahead and then there's a part where we had to climb up and it might not have, might have been like 15, 20 feet, but you're climbing straight up on the side of a mountain that either of these parts, if you fell, I'd say chances of survival were very small. Mm. So we're climbing up this, and again, I felt some fear, not as much as on the ledge. And then <laughs> Lee, my fiance, again, is like scurrying up like no problem. And I don't understand. She was honestly, it was like the two boys and her, and I think the boys were definitely more scared than her. But that was an example of external fear, because if I actually fell, I don't think I would have survived. Mm. That's what I would call an external fear. In those moments, too, you kind of know what to do in an external fear. I mean, another example, I remember my house burned down. I didn't stop to think about what to do oh, when my house caught on fire. I grabbed the cat, I grabbed my computer, and got out of the house. There wasn't, like, any thinking about it. There wasn't any hesitation. It's like when you're walking in the woods and you come across a bear. You're not going to stop for a couple hours and think about what to do. But then there's right. internal fears. That's where things get tricky. Internal fears, there's no immediate threat. There's the fear is inside your body or inside your mind. There's the, the fear is still still appearing, even though there's not an immediate threat. I think that's one of the big things is just understanding, is there an immediate threat or is there not? And that's how I distinguish between external and internal fears. Mm. And I guess so false evidence appearing real usually shows up as an internal fear, right? I mean, when I was on the edge of that mountain scooting across on that little ledge, there was no false evidence. There was a 300-foot drop that was real. Like, it wasn't made up in my mind. That seems like a really helpful way to distinguish and seems like being able to distinguish between false evidence and real evidence, um, internal fears and external fears it can help you cope with or overcome that fear or do what you need to do in, in the face of your fear. So how, how do you overcome internal fears? When I was in prison, I read this awesome book. I really love this book. It's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. In that book, he talks a lot about fear. It's a great book for anyone who's like a creative person who's working on a project. If you're a musician and, you, and you know, you're writing music, if you're a painter, you know, even if you're starting a business, like any creation of a project where fear might come up. This book, I, I highly recommend. Again, it's called The War of Art. But he talks about fear as an indicator, and he says it informs us of what we have to do. His point is the more scared you are of something, he's like the more sure you can be that you have to do that project. Obviously, 
if it wasn't important to you, there wouldn't be any fear around it, right? A lot of times the, the fear is this fear of failure. And if it wasn't meaningful, you wouldn't care if you fail or not. So I really like that idea that fear is an indicator. But to actually move through it, there's something that's called micro-bravery. And hmm. I really like this. The best example I could think of at the moment is for people who have a fear of public speaking. And I know there is a process, I don't know the name offhand, but there's a, a group that helps people with this. You don't just tell someone to write a speech and then get up in front of 100 people and practice. It doesn't work, that the fear is still there. So what they do is they'll take somebody on the first day and you get up in a room and you just say your name in front of everyone that's there. And then you declare that a success. On the next day, you get up in front of the room and you say your name and there's someone up there with you who asks you one question and you answer that question in front of everyone and then you declare that a success. You go on the next day and there's two people up there with you, so you say your name, you ask two questions and you declare that a success. You take these small steps that make it a little simpler as you go and over time, you get to a point where each previous step you have more bravery in dealing with because mm. the fear never goes away. The fear is always there. You just become more brave when you face it. That's really the key. Mm. And that's where wow. the micro bravery works because you can't do this giant leap into I'm going to give the speech tomorrow. You know, it's like you have to take those micro bravery steps. That's awesome. That sounds so effective too to scaffold it in that way. And, you know, I'm starting to try to think now, like, how could I do that in my own life? It seems like there's a lot of potential for that mindset of micro bravery. We're so quick to want fast results, right? But in, in many things, that's not ideal, especially with dealing with fear. Building up bravery, you have to do it like inch by inch, step by step. You don't just accumulate that in one instance, you know, it's, it's a practice like anything, you know, I mean, you're a musician. It's like first time you picked up a guitar, you know, you didn't just sit down and write a song. I mean, you had to learn what each string was, you know, like there's, there's steps to everything. Absolutely. So are there any other tools you have that help you face your fears? Two things I would say that have been helpful for me since I've really been like exploring this topic. So the first, I would say, is related to what Pat the Bunny told me about fear is a feeling that shows up in the body. And I remember during that year in prison when I was, that first year when I was really paying attention to those places in the body where the feeling was showing up, I realized something fascinating. Some of the feelings, they weren't always fear. I realized like sometimes it would be excitement. Right? To be excited about something, and it can feel very similar to the feeling of fear. I really started paying attention to that. And one of the things that I would say really helps is to take a moment and really experience and understand the feelings and emotions you're feeling. For example, with all these projects that I'm working on that I was saying I was afraid and, and fearful of, of going after... When I actually sit down and take a moment to think what it's like for me and what feelings I'm having, I would say there's excitement, there's anticipation, there's curiosity, and obviously there's fear. 
but fear always seems to be the loudest, right? It yells the loudest, so it blocked out all those other feelings. So just to acknowledge those other feelings are there, I could say, oh, okay, with all these feelings, how much of it is actually fear? I'd be honest, I'm more excited than I am afraid, but the fear just yells louder than the excitement, right? And I have more anticipation than I do fear, but the fear is always loudest. Once you realize that, like all these different emotions are involved, you can kind of put fear in its place. You mm. pick like a ranking order of the emotions and a lot of times it kind of moves fear a little lower down. So that's one thing that's been really helpful. And I guess one last thing, I, you know, I'm not big on mantras because I think it's easy to take a mantra that you don't really believe and just repeat it. Life is great. And it's like, well, if you don't believe that, like it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, if you believe it, then it, it, it's going to be helpful. But I know I, I do think a lot of people like attach themselves to a mantra, but they don't actually believe it. And it just seems to have no power at that point. So whenever I am going to use a mantra, if I ever am, I want to make sure it's something I believe. And I heard this, I don't know where I heard it from, but I really thought it was great. Uh, and it does help me a lot when I'm in stuck in a moment of fear. But the mantra is fear is temporary. Regret is for forever. Mm. So what does that mean to you? Simply put, it means, it means get off your ass and do the work. You know, I got out of prison and I'm kind of rebuilding my life. And I can kind of just like sit back and just go get a job and not work towards creating anything that I actually want. And obviously fear plays a big role in that, right? It's a lot easier to not work on creating things that I want to create and just do something else, avoid doing that work. But I know I would live with regret if I didn't at least attempt these things. So really what it is, for, what it means to me, like I said, it's kind of like get off your butt and do the work because you're going to look back years from now and be like, what happened? You know, why didn't I even try? I mean, I'd rather attempt these things and they fail. Because even if they do fail, I'll just be where I am right now, you know, starting again. But if they actually succeed, uh, you know, it's going to be a great thing for me. And I won't have that regret. And honestly, even if they did fail, I don't think I would have regret. Like, I think the regret is the not trying. I think that's what mm -hmm. the regret's about. And the not trying would be the actual failure. Yeah, exactly. And I think our definitions of success can be really twisted too. Um, you know, I, I think even if something fails by certain standards, it might succeed by others, you know, even just the act of doing it. Or if it's something that you thought you'd be doing for years, but you only do it for one year, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you didn't succeed. It means, hey, wow, you did that thing for a whole year. So I think, yeah, that's, I, I, I like that mantra, you know, because it, for me, it can kind of do the same thing of saying, well, you know, what have you got to lose, really? And there's more to lose by not doing it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's just a matter of deal with the fear that often comes up and get past that so we can do the work. You know, it was interesting, too, because April and I, in the last episode, actually talked about that a little bit, about the DOI Bandits label that I ran and how 
if you look at it as a label, it was a failure. Like, like if you compare it to like a, a traditional label, like we, we weren't successful financially. Um, you know, it never made money. Uh, like I said in the episode with her, we never made money until actually I went to prison. You know, as I just told everyone too, like I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, <laughs> yet a lot of the artists that worked with us said it was their favorite label to work with. And so many people wrote us letters, so grateful and appreciative of the things we were doing and the contributions we were making. And, you know, and it goes to what you're saying, like our, our concepts of success are often misguided. Absolutely. This has been a really great conversation, Pepe. Speaking of mantras, um, I really like that phrase. I don't know who originally said it, but faith is the antidote to fear. And for some people that might be a religious faith, but it doesn't even have to be that. Um, it can be faith in yourself, faith in the people around you, faith in your community, faith in your abilities or capacities, uh, faith in a greater purpose or the universe. And for me, that's often what I go to when I'm feeling afraid is trying to trust myself, trust others, trust that the situation will work out. And um, that's that's kind of my go-to coping method for fear. Mm, I like that. And that definitely describes experiences I had, especially uh, since my arrest and incarceration. So I never really was one to use the word or that term faith before. Um, I guess you could say I had an allergy to it for so long. But I do remember when I was fighting my case for two and a half years before I went away, I started to, at a certain point, realize I really needed to kind of turn things around. I mean, I knew I was going to prison, but I wanted to make sure that as horrible as this experience was going to be for me and for my kids and my family and my friends, that it wasn't any more horrible than it had to be. I could have easily done a ton of things to make it worse. And I actually really started to focus on creating like a method or a process. And maybe that's something we'll get into in a future episode, but that would help me and everyone around me get through this in a way that would allow it to happen with the least amount of damage as possible, even though it's going to be a lot. We could make sure it doesn't have to be more than necessary. And I really had faith in that process. I guess I wouldn't have thought of it in a religious way. Like I always associated that word with a religious term before that. But going through that experience, all the things I was doing, and there was quite a bit of them, I started to see that they actually made things easier for the people around me during that experience. So that really helped me understand that, like, okay, if I have faith in this process and I follow it, it seems to bring me these results. Mm. And, you know, in relation to fear, I mean, this is interesting. Like, I'm just thinking of this now, hearing you, you know, talk about that and, and turning to faith. If I'm going to put my energy into something, I'd much rather put my energy into the faith that I have in that process of getting through an experience than into the fear. I mean, whenever I put my energy into the fear, Usually for me, what that means is I procrastinate. I sit right. around and do nothing because mm. I keep feeding that fear. Yeah, it seems like when fear isn't dealt with in a helpful way, 
it can come out sideways in all sorts of ways through action, through inaction, and uh, it can can really be an obstacle. You know, I like this idea that you said with faith. It's great to have something else now. I want to try and incorporate that actually more because, you know, we just discussed all these things that I do to kind of deal with fear, but then having faith in, you know, I'm trying to create this coffee roasting company and I can have faith in the fact that if I put in the effort, if I learn as much as I can about coffee roasting, if I combine it in this cool way, like I'm planning to with music and the folk punk community, and I'm actually contributing something of value to people. If I have faith in that and I follow that faith in that process, that's definitely something that is really uh, solid and tangible that I can turn to in moments of fear and say, okay, I'm feeling fear, but I know I can turn to this faith in this process that I have. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example. And uh, I can speak to your faith being merited because I think the coffee's great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's funny too. We could even talk a little bit about uh, fear and procrastination. So when this airs for everyone publicly, it should be, if everything goes as planned, it should be on May 1st. And I had a bunch of stuff that I had planned uh, from the coffee company to the podcast to the record label to getting married. And they were all planned in different times and different months. And because of my fear and because of my procrastination, they all started piling up on each other. So on May 1st, the Bandit Coffee Roasters website should launch. On May 1st, the podcast should launch. On May 1st, I'm getting married. And like all these things were supposed to be like on a separate day. But uh, it's kind of crazy that my fear caused all that procrastination that pushed all these things to a later date and they all kind of combined in one day. Yeah, wow. That's wild. That's May 1st is a big day for you. Yes. <laughs> no, and I, you know, I was joking about it with my fiance and, and one of my kids too that May 1st will be our one-year anniversary for marriage and for this podcast and for the, mm. for the coffee roasting company. It's a big, it'll be a big, uh, big day. We'll have to start having celebrations uh, mm -hmm. at that time. <clears throat> Not just your wedding anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, yeah. Any other final thoughts or things to, to say? I guess I'll just close out with, you know, I mean, I was sharing some of my fears about my role in the DIY Bandits, and I'm glad I shared that. I guess if there's anyone out there who's working on something or trying to get something started or get something going, you know, you're not alone if you are, are feeling fear. I feel it all the time. It, like I said, it delayed these projects for months, you know, which didn't help because it just increases the fear because I have even less time to get things done. But, you know, you're not alone in your fear. And I'm going to do my best to kind of document my journey on this podcast with people and how I move through some of this stuff and, and through the fear that I'm facing. And hopefully, you know, we can, we can figure these things out together. I think if anyone listening has any uh, questions or comments about fear, we'd love to hear them. If you have a question for us, we'd, we'd be willing to talk about it on the podcast. If you have a, a scenario or a story about fear that you want to share, uh, you could send us an email uh, to podcast at com, and we'll do our best to talk about it on the show. But yeah, I just want to let folks know that they're not alone in their, these moments of fear and that 
I'm going to do my best to accomplish the things I'm doing in my life. And I hope other folks can find inspiration from that and that we can do these things together. And well, thank you so much. Uh, there's been a handful of people I met since I got out of prison that have been extremely, extremely helpful and giving. And you have certainly been one of them. You in April and then there's some other folks that will be on the podcast as well. I'll talk to you later. But yeah, there's been like five people that have really been awesome. And I, I would like to say thank you for that. That means a lot. Thanks, Pepe. Yeah. It's been an honor. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to subscribe or leave us a review, that helps us out a lot. And you can also subscribe to Pepe's new coffee roasting company, Bandit Coffee Roasters. Check it out, and we'll see you next time.